Let's pray together. Father, what a, pri- what a privilege it is to be in a relationship with you and know that you have plans for us. Plans that if we began to see the full scope and extent of them would make us get so overwhelmed that we wouldn't be able to stop ourselves from laughing, singing, and jumping up and down in all the days of our lives. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that the revelation of your purpose and of your plan for our life brings light and it brings joy to our hearts. And so we thank you for ministering to us and we thank you for challenging us with the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God works in our hearts through faith. Somebody just sent me a text. They said, is it by the resurrection of Jesus or is it by the gospel? Well, the gospel is where we preach about what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. And until you hear it preached, you can't believe it. Until you believe it, you can't have anything happen in your life because of it. So we hear about it, but it doesn't happen when we heard. It happened before we heard, but it didn't benefit us until we heard. So... Faith comes by hearing. You can't believe it until you hear about it, right? You can't believe Jesus loves me until you hear about the fact that he loved you so much. He offered up his own life for you to make you completely whole and to make you completely new because of what he's doing inside of you. Amen.
to life, even if someone rises from the dead, they're not going to believe it. So here it's quite clear that unless faith doesn't come from seeing supernatural things. I mean, thank God for supernatural things. I'm, I'm, down, I'm down for that. I'll take every, every supernatural thing. You don't want, I'll take that. I'm down for spiritual encounters. I'm down for goosebumps. I'll take second helpings of goosebumps. I, I'll, 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 I'll take being pinned to the floor for three or four days at a time by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll go with all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, that isn't what builds faith. What really builds faith is when I start taking God at his word and I start listening to what he has to say. Because he's saying yeah, that even if somebody rises from the dead, it isn't going to be the end of it. So let's just look at a couple of verses. I want to go to quickly with uh, me, if you would, uh, to the uh, book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And I want us to start reading over there because there's some really great stuff in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We find our friend Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6. Um, where is it in there? I'm sorry. I'm, I thought it was Hebrews 6, but it's not. Let me just get to it. Anyhow, how many of you know that Abraham is the father of faith? So the scripture tells us that he's that because... Abraham, it says, the Bible says in Hebrews, uh, sorry, in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham's the first guy in the Bible that actually receives a miracle. And uh, he receives a miracle, not, he he doesn't have faith after the miracle, he has faith before he receives the miracle. And um, let's just go there to... Sorry. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. It's kind of crazy because when you, when, when you take out a loan or you do something, you have to, you have to swear that you're going to pay it back. And so... They, they even get somebody else to sign there saying, well, this is going to be paid back and so on. When you go to court, you have to, they don't, they don't accept just you giving your testimony. You have to swear that your testimony is true. Why? Because people are such liars. They want to add another layer onto it. And what do you know? Even with swearing, people still lie. But God can't lie. And even though God can't lie. So usually when somebody says, I swear I'll do it. We, what do we do? We say, okay, I, I choose to believe you, uh, that you're trustworthy because you swore that you would do it. Now, God who can't lie, we can believe him anytime. He takes an extra step and he uses what fallen men do who can't keep their word. He says, he, he swears to it and said, I will surely bless. I will surely multiply. So if we could trust people who lie to do what they said they would because they said, I swear to it then how much more should we be trusting God? If, if our hearts are at peace, when somebody in the world says they will do something, how much more should our hearts be at peace when God says he's going to do something? Amen? And so, yeah, he swe- because he could swear by nobody greater. So there's nobody above him that could make sure that, there's nobody above God that could make sure that God did what God was said he was going to do. God said, I'm going to swear by myself. I'll make sure I'll do what I'm supposed to do. So he said, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, everybody say patiently. And so uh, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things what are those two unchangeable things the fact that god himself cannot lie and the fact that he has sworn to it in in two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for god to lie we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take the take hold of the hope set 
before us. So the scripture tells us that we through faith and patience inherit the promise. Let's go back there to verse 12. So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, why is patience needed? Part of the thing with Part of the thing with trusting God is it never seems to happen when you want it, right? Anybody notice that? It never happens when you want it. I wanted it to happen yesterday, and uh, it still hasn't happened. So there's always this thing where I'm thinking, why, why isn't it happening yet? And many times we interpret delay as denial. We think that the delay means it's never going to happen. And usually what happens when there's a delay, what happens? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then I guess I just said, ah, what the, I give up. And we, we, we just throw it all away at that moment in time. And I want to encourage you that if you quit before it, it actually happens, you, you, put a, you, you, put a, you put a stop on what God wants to do inside of your life. When I first came to the United States, 31 years ago when Jane and I first got married, our plan was to start a church in Chandler, Arizona, and then we would go as missionaries to China together. That was our plan. We were going to get in there. We are just going to dive in there. Yay, our days on the mission field, here we come. And the church would just love us so much that they'd stand behind us and they'd help us do that. Wouldn't you know... It was very hard to persuade people who didn't see you on a regular basis to stand alongside of you. Anyway, the church itself continues to this day. It's still around, thank God. I'm very glad for that. But we never did get to China. We never did. Nothing happened. And so I, I, I began being a pastor instead of being a missionary. That wasn't the original idea. And I gave up on the idea. I just let it go. And um, I had no idea that 31 years later, um, at the beginning of this year, as most of you know, that I have now become a full-time missionary and I'm going to be involved in helping uh, people in many different nations of the world get developed and teaching and preaching to them for two weeks at a time, which usually means I'll preach in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and I'll do that for 14 days. So that's uh, 42 messages and about an hour long. So 42 hours of preaching in each place. How much fun is that going to be? And you guys, many of you already expressed the desire to uh, be partners together with that and to support that. And for that, I give you uh, thanks for being partners with me. It's not like I'm the guy that's getting all the flashy stuff or whatever it is. The Bible's quite clear that both those who went to the war and those who stayed with the, 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 the baggage and the goods, they shared in an equal part with with the spoils of what was accomplished. So it's not just me going to be receiving the reward of it. You who stand with me in prayer and financially, you're receiving the reward of it as well. We're doing this together. But I, I, I gave up on it. I thought, that's it. It's over. It's done. It's out and everything else. And when I came home and I said to Jane, hey, this is what I, this is what I believe God's telling me to do. She was so excited. She said, go ahead and do it. I just want to share a story with you. you. know, How many of you remember Kirk, my dear son, Kirk? The, the friendly Viking who's six foot four and weighs 260 pounds. And, uh, and don't look at him skew. So uh, otherwise something might happen. Uh, Kirk's actually a gentle giant of a guy. <coughs> Kirk came to me. You can never really tell what's happening with Kirk. You know, you can see him there, but you can't ever really tell. You, you don't know what kind of a day is Kirk having. And you look at Kirk and it's completely mysterious. He's inscrutable. You can't even see through the outside anything. He came and he stood up, ne stood next to me, and he put his hand. M both, of my, both of my sons are taller than me. So I'm the little guy now. I'm in the middle, and they're both. Kirk's up here, Drew's up here, and I'm down in the middle. So, and they, they always talk to me as my, their little dad. So um, Kirk came, and he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said to me just a few weeks back, he said, Dad, I'm really glad you're doing this because... This is what you were made for. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And I was so thrilled that the very first person that went ahead and set up the sponsor monthly spot was Kirk. Kirk's the first person that jumped in there to go ahead and do it. So I'm really blessed. And uh, if any of you guys ha don't know anything about it and want to participate in it, just speak to me at the end of the service. I'd love to be able to spend some time sharing with you. But I had already given up on something that God actually intended. And maybe... There's some of you here this morning, you've given up on what God intends for your life. And I'm here to say to you that 
it, it even when it looks like it's taken a long time now 31 years a little bit longer than abraham he had 25 of waiting for it but of course i can't complain i've had joyous experiences throughout all of this and you know what it turns out that life has to be lived forwards but can only be understood in reverse and so much of what i thought i knew was happening i had no idea what was really happening so god is doing some great things amen and so uh we i want to encourage you some people are strong in faith but when it comes to patience oh heck no uh that ain't happening now and i'm I'm mad as a snake it didn't take place and all the rest i remember praying for a lady i don't know if you remember this this is right when we were the, started the church here in tucson we started praying for a lady and we laid hands on her and right in the middle of praying no it wasn't it wasn't here in tucson i'm sorry it, it was in new york uh, up, upstate new york vaughn and i we were praying for her while we're praying for her she starts saying it's not working <laughs> she shouted right we're laying we believe in god for a miracle she said it's not working i thought just shut up <laughs> it's like what are you saying <laughs> it's like it was the i was thinking about it when i'm driving down i drove down from phoenix three hours to get you this morning i'm driving down from, and i just started laughing i laughed so hard because She's just a regular person and she had no idea that her mouth was undoing a whole load of things and she was just fighting. It's not working. Basically saying, just stop praying. It's not working. You guys are wasting your time. And, and many times you can get into a situation where you absolutely feel that's how it is. But it isn't. It's never that way. And so I want to encourage you on a couple of these things. And so it, it may look like some things are never. I remember my, one of my, my, my pastor, when I first got filled with the Spirit and, and got involved with the church, there were, there were, there were six little ladies and the, the pastor and his wife, and they weren't young either. And you, you look at the church and you think, oh, this is dead. Six little old ladies. Most of them, le- their legs didn't touch the ground uh, from the pew. They would sit there and their legs would kind of dangle in the air and all the rest. It was, it was comical. And I wound up there with my friend and myself. And we were part of the, the meeting. And you know what? God started doing something. They prayed and prayed and prayed. We didn't know about any of this stuff. And they'd been in that condition for, I think, about 10 years with just that handful of people and nothing happening. And uh, within a, a few months, we had uh, 30 young people as part of the service in addition to all the other people that came in and the other adults. As, and the thing just took off. And I just thought, wow, did they ever know? And then my other pastor was in the ministry for 25 years, and he had the same 75 people for 25 years. And in the 25th year, <coughs> the church grew to 600 and had a massive revival that actually touched the nations because there are people from that church that are in every nation of the world and are doing things, myself included. So uh, you can never tell what's going to happen. Don't ever measure anything by what it looks like in the moment. Nobody can actually know about that. And uh, so uh, faith plus patience are essential things that we need to get a handle on. Amen. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 because that's where I want to spend some time. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, this morning. And we go there to verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11. Now remember Lazarus, uh, not Lazarus, the rich man saying, Hey, send somebody back if they can just see somebody come back from the dead. It'll probably scare them. It'll scare them witless. Uh, but it wouldn't do anything to produce faith inside of their heart. So here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance. And there's plenty of different ways that verse is uh, translated. Uh, but the real meaning of it is it's the sub substance. And sub substance is, in, is, is a Latin word. It comes from two words. It means sub, which means under, and stance, to stand. That which stands under, so substance. So it's actually a foundation. And what it's saying is faith is the what? It's the foundation. But not only is it saying that, it says faith is the, 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 the substance. It's not like, well, you've got, you've got the answer and I've got faith. No, faith itself makes it subs- gives it substance. Faith gives things that don't have substance, it gives them substance. It makes them substantial substantial means to stand under that's what substantial means so when we talk about a substantial thing we mean it means a a thing of 
uh, uh, that that has it it has means it has ability it, it has mass it has uh, it has influence something that is substantial has influence amen and so yes yeah, saying faith creates things of influence so when people look at you and you say well you don't have anything you say well I'm believing God they say well you know you've got faith and I've got I've got something you you all you have is this empty trust no faith actually has already taken a hold of something it may not be visible yet but you've got it it doesn't say faith will be the substance it says faith is the substance so in other words you get the substance of what you're hoping for the moment you believe it right if there's faith then it's always faith is the substance of things hoped for anybody hoped for anything anybody hoped for a better car anybody hoped for a better life anybody hoped for a better job Anybody here? Anybody wished for something? If you wish upon a star, makes no <coughs> Okay. Thank you, Jiminy Cricket. So um, we, we think that we can just be hopeful. I've known people all my life. That, well, I've just been, I've been, I've been wishing, I've been wishing and praying. Have you ever heard people say that? I've been wishing and praying. For, I said, uh, or, or I, I hope and pray. You're not supposed to hope and pray. You're supposed to believe and pray. Hoping and praying doesn't get it. Believing and praying does. So, and, and if he says it here, listen, I'm, this, if this is my words, you can, you, can, you can take them with a spade of salt. Forget a pinch. Uh, but if it's God's words, we need to take them with, with that he's, he can't lie, right? We're already ready in chapter 6, uh, verse 12. God can't lie. And, and we already read that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. You don't earn them, you inherit them. Amen? So if you're thinking you're earning them, somebody said, well, you know, I haven't been good enough yet, so I didn't get it. Have you ever said that? If you didn't already say that, you wouldn't be human. So thank God. You, you can say, I'm human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wear it like a badge. Come on. So, uh, yeah, there are plenty of times... The, the, the enemy wants you to live in the vacuum of empty things, always waiting to live, always waiting for the day when you're an overcomer, always waiting for the day when you have your needs met, when you have wholeness, when you have healing, when you have everything that he wants you to live like that. Because if you're always living towards having a life, you know, one day I'll have a life. One day I'll be happy. One day that'll happen and I'll be satisfied. So there's never satisfaction, there's never life, there's never joy, there's never any of the things now. I'm just, one day it'll be. Faith says you've got it now. <coughs> you've got it right now. Somebody said, well, I can't see it. It's a bit like the old lady. It isn't working. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. But it doesn't matter. She was such a trip my goodness she had a hat on that looked like it had a fruit salad i mean every variety of fruit was on her hat and everything else she was a jewish lady as well she was born again but man she didn't have an ounce of faith in any part of her body but anyway uh it isn't working <laughs> so now faith now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction conviction ever you've been ever been convicted of things that are not seen convinced of unseen things and yeah it's not talking about unseen things as in angels it's amazing how many people talk about angels nowadays somebody said oh he's the angel i said if god's going to work in your life he's not going to settle for the help he's going to come himself he's going to the holy spirit's going to do it angels are the help you know and uh, when when god's working in our lives the holy spirit's going to be be helping us out amen <coughs> Well, God's not going to settle for the opposition. Some say, well, God's using the devil to make us stronger. I said, no, God uses a different spirit to make you stronger. The devil is out there trying to get you weaker. So stop. The Holy Spirit is the different spirit. Stop telling me that God's using. God has a spirit to make, his believe, make believers stronger. His name is the Holy Spirit. Did you get it? And then they look at me with both two, you know, like I got two heads. But anyway, that's not my fault. It's their head. One day they'll wake up, shake their head hard enough so that their ears swing around and slap them awake. <laughs> so this is what he says here, that faith, we grab a hold of it. Look at verse 2, for by it men of old gained approval. You want approval from God? Believe what he said. Amen? 
You want to feel like you're approved by God, that you're welcome, that you're accepted, that you're good enough? The moment you believe you're good enough. Here's, one, here's a couple of questions I want to ask you. Is this good? You're going, are we going anywhere with this yet? All right, good. Okay. You can say amen or you can say ouch. Either way, it's good. I'm, I'm down with that. Amen. <coughs> so one of the things, anybody, anybody had a hurt in their life before? Anybody suffered loss? Anybody had a great pain because of that? Okay, so we're speaking to everybody here. How do you know you're over the pain? How do you know that you're over the loss? Now, if you've lost a loved one, you never get over that in the sense that you never think about it again. But the overwhelming, life-controlling hurt that is not supposed to be there for the rest of your days, that's an unhealthy, that overwhelming thing, God is able to 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 go ahead and change that and heal that so that you don't live with that for the rest of your days. Amen? That's that, that's a reality. So there's, there's healthy grieving and there's very unhealthy grieving. And I, I think everybody can recognize it when you see it. It's unhealthy when it completely destroys somebody's life. That's unhealthy. When somebody uh, thinks with fondness uh, and, and entertains the memory of somebody that has passed away, and they may shed a tear every now and then, but they continue living life and, and doing what they're supposed to do. That's normal. No, nobody gets over those things in that sense. So, uh, you know, it's like some people say, when are you going to get over it? You know, that kind of thing. That's just, then, uh, you know, that's when you want to swing your hand and, and make sure that it has good contact and say, how long are you going to get over this? You know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just kidding because I'm not advocating violence. Please, if anyone's listening to this, Pastor Mike's not saying, go and get violence, start slapping people all around you. But the thought does occur. The thought does occur. Last, on, on, uh, on Friday night, <coughs> I just put in gas. I'm pulling out of the gas station and I'm stopped. You know that you can't be responsible for an accident if you're completely stopped, right? Because you're not moving. And I'm stopped and I'm waking, ma- waiting to make a right-hand turn. And a young man coming in to put gas in decides, as he's turning, he's going slow. So y- you don't have to worry. If you're going slow, it's safe, right? So, um, but, but he's looking at his text messages while he's going slow. And he goes, mm, and I could see it happening. And I'm honk- I start, in desperation, I honk the horn to get his attention. And the last minute... Bam! And my whole car's front explodes. That's why I'm in the rental car out the front over here. And I'm madder than a snake <clears throat> at that moment. I'm just so mad. I'm thinking, why did you start looking at your stupid... Ta-? And I want to just ream the kid out. That's what I wanted to do. I really did. And I realized I got I to gotta make a quick adjustment here. <clears throat> so I went from the devil response to the God response in about... Two or three seconds. I know I'm, I probably still had some of the. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just go at them from a dizzy height. Uh, the moment I get out of here, I'm gonna start yelling and screaming. <coughs> but I didn't. The worst thing I did was I said, "Are you taking something? Are you are you drunk or are you?" And he said, "No, I'm just very tired. I think he was an Amazon worker. Bless him. So he's working these crazy shifts." And I said, "Well, it's okay." <coughs> And we can, uh, I just need your information. So, you know, driver's license, registration, and insurance card, and that stuff. And uh, I'll make the report and everything else. So, we're, while we're walking around, and the nicer I am to him, the more he's telling me things you should never tell people. Uh, yes, I was reading my texts. Yes, I wasn't looking where I was going. You should never say that kind of stuff. I mean, you should, if you if you did it wrong, you should own up to it. I mean, that's the case. And I said, no, that's okay. Just when they call you, you tell them exactly the same thing you're telling me now. That'll be cool. Not a problem at all. So <coughs> I went ahead and did And, yeah, I mean, what can you do? I can get mad. Mad's not going to fix the, fix the car, right? It's not going to put the lights back in. It's not going to make the blinker work. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to drive me back to California with a car that's fallen apart and I lost half of it in Arizona and now only, <laughs> only the other half made it back, any of those kinds of things. And I'm just, I called my wife. I said, Jane, this is what happened. Her first thing was, were, were, you, were you nice to the guy that drove into <laughs> me? I said, I didn't want to be, but I was. She said, good, I'm very proud of you. So, amen. <coughs> All right. How long is it going to take me to get over something? So, if somebody's mean to you, somebody doesn't. How long does it take you to get over it? 
or you've had a failure in your life, how long does it take you to get over it? And that's a good question because, well, how will you know that you're over it? How will you know that it's finally been settled in your life? And here's the answer to that. The only way to know is to believe that God has taken care of it at that moment that you choose to believe. You know you're over it the moment you believe. You're over it. You're over it when you believe you're over it. If you stop believing you're over it and you revisit it, you can get back into it again and not be over it, but it's not somebody or it's not time's responsibility to fix it. You need to decide at that moment, I choose to believe God, I'm over it. Like, how do you know that you're whole? How do you know that you're whole? You say, maybe I'm the only person who said, God, just just make me normal. Just make me whole. Just fix what needs to be, take care of what. How do you ever know? Is that just a, a vain prayer that we keep throwing up into the atmosphere and hoping somewhere it sticks in heaven and God sees it, you know? But like socks that have been worn too long, you throw them against the wall, and if they stick, it's time to do the laundry or whatever. And you just hope somehow the stuff you're throwing into heaven sticks, and somehow God hears about it, and somehow he does something. Or are you actually going to take him at his word and his promise that says that of his fullness you have all received and grace upon grace. Uh, for you are complete in him who is head of all principality and power. You lack no spiritual gift waiting for his appearing. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you willing to take those statements and say, you know what, I'm going to align with that. That's going to be where I live. That's going to be where I go. I'm, when times get tough, I'm going home to those thoughts. I'm not going home to the other ones. I, I've, I've gone home to those too many times. But I made up my mind, that ain't home. That's hell. That's tough. That's impossible to live with. I'm going home to these thoughts. Whenever something really rough starts happening, I'm going home to those because I know God loves me. I know he's for me. I know he's on my side. I know he's watching over his word to fulfill it in my life. I know that he's doing all of those things. Amen. <coughs> How do I know I've got a sound mind? Anybody felt like they were losing their mind at any point in their life? Okay, a few of us. I, I have felt like I have already lost my mind. In fact, I've said of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most to a number of people. And people thought I was being funny. But the reality of it is that uh, God uh, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You know that <laughs> we're living in an age, I was just told, that 30% of all people applying to go to missions were on some kind of antidepressant or some kind of uh, medication to deal with uh, where they were at in their mental state. 30% of Christians, we're not even talking about the world, so I can't imagine what it's like out in the world, but of believers are in that, that condition. Now, l- listen, there you, you, if you need to be on it, you need to be on it, but... If if you're on any kind of medication and you have a good person that's working with you, uh, I have this on good authority from my wife, then they're going to work with you to not be on it for the rest of your days, but to go ahead and step it down slowly and work with you and keep on checking where you're at. But the way that that happens is to go ahead and start believing differently about yourself even psychiatry says that it, it you you can get so messed up just because of what's happening in your head so when trouble comes what do you go home to you go home to uh, the person that beats you up or do you go home to the one that says i'm on your side i'm i'm working i'm doing it the one that says it's never going to happen and the other one says you already have it you can't see it right now but it doesn't make any less real in your life you already possess it you can be at peace sit down relax it's all working exactly the way that it's supposed to be i'm working all things together for your good or this one that says it isn't working it ain't happening that's the thing that we could always go to, and God doesn't want us to go to that. Can you say amen? <clears throat> All right, back there to Hebrews 11 if you're in your Bible. So f- by faith, we understand. How many know by faith you understand? It's not by reason or logic or by feelings. Amen? By faith. How many know that the fight that we fight is the fight of faith? Just let me give you that reference here. I wrote it down. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Some people don't even know what that means. Fighting the good fight of faith 
is contending, choosing to stand with the Word of God as opposed to everything else that says it's not happening, it isn't real, it can't work this way, it's never going to happen. I choose against that. That's what faith is. So by faith we understand that the worlds, <coughs> not wor this world, but the worlds, that means all the worlds, everything that's out there. Oh, did you hear what happened recently? They, made, made, they looked at the, the gap of, the, of space there in the, around where the North Star is, there's an empty part of space. Or at least they thought it was empty. And they shone the telescope, this radio telescope to it, and they pointed it there. And they found more galaxies than they could ever believe had ever existed. And it went so far back that it messed up their Big Bang Theory. Because in the Big Bang Theory, you're not supposed to have big galaxies close to the start of the event. They're only supposed to happen later on as everything slows down. But they discovered there were such big galaxies right at the beginning of the event, far bigger than most of the galaxies we have now, that now they don't have a, they don't have a theory anymore. Because what they've seen disproves everything that they thought they knew about what they had seen. Now they've seen something they'd never seen before. In fact, when the, when the guy who's got his month on the telescope, they said to him, you're wasting your time. Why are you doing this and all the rest? So he did. He stuck it there for a month. And, of course, it takes a long time for that light to gather. And for me, you can go online and see this. I'm not, this, is, this is not me sucking it out of my thumb, you know, for a Sunday morning message. It really has happened. And now they have, they, they said they have no idea how the universe operates. Imagine that. One guy in one month destroyed what everybody was convinced of for the last hundred years. Imagine that. Apparently the science was not in. Apparently the science that was in was not complete. Now that we have a, a more complete picture, I'm not saying it's the only picture, now we have a more complete picture, they can't even describe the universe anymore. Now everyone's mad at him. Why are they mad at him? Because he stuck his telescope in the place where there wasn't supposed to be anything and discovered more stuff than what anybody else had ever discovered in their entire life. And now everybody else is saying, dang it, why wasn't I the one who stuck my telescope at the empty space? You know, they've always looked at it as the empty hole up there in the north. It's an empty part of space. And there's nothing. everybody knows there's nothing there. People have known there's nothing there for thousands of years with their eyes and with their telescopes. There's nothing there. And wouldn't you know, some crazy nut job comes along. He claims to be a scientist. He faces his telescope. What everybody knows, there's nothing there. And suddenly, everybody knows that what wasn't there has been there all along, is bigger, more stunning, and more life-changing, and has completely freaked them all out because now they don't have a clue, and it's back to the drawing board, so now we're going to have to start all over again. That's what faith does. It sees things where nobody else sees them, and it changes the entire perception of the whole world just because of that. And that happened just in the last three months. Just in the last three months. So now there's no Big Bang because you can't have a bang and a big, uh, a big galaxy. And these galaxies are huge. He's discovered all of them. More stars than they ever thought were possible. So now we, we say, um, if it explodes, well, no, it couldn't have exploded. How did it explode? Did it exp it must have, that's the angle it comes from. <coughs> Back to the drawing board. So how many of you know? Somebody would say, you don't believe in the Big Bang, do you? And I said, no, I, I, we'd heard at the time, yeah, I do. God spoke, bang, it happened. It's as simple as that. You know, I believe in a Big Bang. It must have been, I, being, I believe in the Big Flash. I believe there was a massive release of light and energy and matter and everything else. And, and more than that, <laughs> there was the release of life, which you still can't get from a Big Bang. So I, you, you can get that from God. Verse 3. By faith we understand. Anybody starting to understand? Okay, I'm not going to labor this. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, and through that obtained the testimony that he was righteous. He obtained what? A testimony that he was righteous, perfect before God. How? By faith he obtained the testimony that he was perfect before God. And how did he do that? By offering up a better sacrifice right 
How many know we don't have to offer up a better sacrifice? The best sacrifice has already been offered up for us, far better than that. But what did Abel do? Abel offered up better sacrifice. Now everyone argues. You can talk to all of the, 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 thick, the people with the thick, thick glasses and the long white coats, and they, they essentially try to tell you that Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's because it was a blood sacrifice, and it was therefore you know, foreshadowing the sacrifices under the Old Covenant. That's not true. Uh, because there's not only blood sacrifices mentioned in the book of Leviticus, there's actually a grain offering, there's a wave of wheat offerings and things like that as well. There's bread and there's oil. So those are not blood sacrifices. So uh, we should not jump to conclusions based upon that. Uh, what we do find is that uh, Abel brought the firstlings of the flock and Cain brought his sacrifice at the end of days. In other words, the end of the season. Anybody waited till the end of the season before you honored God? That's not going to cut it. It's, it's not, he doesn't say it's not a sacrifice. He said it's not the better sacrifice. The better sacrifice is to honor God right at the beginning. What does that mean? That means you honor God before you've double-checked that you've got enough money to make it. You honor God from the first of what you have. Amen? That's what faith does. Faith says God deserves to be the first person that I consider about honoring with what I have, my substance, my goods, my things that I possess. Amen. <coughs> okay, moving on. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up. Isn't that great? One day he's just walking along and the next moment, psh, gone. No idea. Somebody suggested that Enoch's in heaven walking with God and he doesn't even know that he's left the earth. He's just having a great time. Has been for centuries now. So, uh, <laughs> But look what it says in the next part. The second part of verse 5 is very interesting to me. He said, he obtained the witness or the testimony that before. Everybody say before. How many know that if you were suddenly snatched up into heaven, you would feel that you had proof positive that you were pleasing to God? Right? If you, if you want, I'm standing on a zip, suddenly I'm up in heaven and said, wow, I really am pleasing to God. How many know that's not faith? <laughs> but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Enoch found out he was pleasing to God when he suddenly arrived in heaven. It says before that happened. What happened? Before his being taken up. Now, whenever you see time words, when you're talking about faith here, you need to look at them. So before his being taken up, how did he do that? He obtained the testimony before his being taken up. Everybody, anybody, could have, anybody in heaven could believe that they were pleasing to God. But he obtained it before that happened. <coughs> and that's the way that we do it right now. We obtain it by faith. It says, verse, verse 5 at the beginning, By faith Enoch obtained the witness before being taken up that he was pleasing to God. He, how did he obtain it? By faith. So the moment I believe God, what happens? I'm pleasing to God. I'm perfect before him. That's what it says, correct? Amen. And you say, well, when does that happen? But what if I'm sitting here and I feel terrible because I've messed up? And I, I had a, a, a couple of meetings. I've had so many meetings. I can't even, I've, I've been speaking nonstop for eight or nine hours a day for 10 days. So I, I'm like, this time I, my brain's all scrambled and everything else. I was speaking at a men's group in uh, Mesa. And the guys, they all had significant struggles in their life. They had addictions, all kinds of things. They were Christians, but they were all struggling. And um, they, they, they were doing the common mistake. And that is that when, you know, in Numbers chapter 17, when the serpent, the people grumbled. And when they grumbled, serpents arrived. So don't grumble. You don't want snakes showing up. And when the snakes showed up, they began to bite the people. And the people started dying from the snake bites. And so the response was, what do we do? We're being bitten by snakes. And how do we get rid of the snakes? And you may be bitten by snakes and wondering, and I don't mean literal snakes. I mean, maybe there's snakes in your life right now and they're chewing on you. And you say, well, how do we get rid of the snakes? Well, it's not really so much getting rid of the snakes. It's making them powerless, rendering snakes powerless. Because, you know, uh, unlike St. Patrick, Moses did not command the snakes to leave the desert. Uh, you know, he didn't. St. Patrick got all of the snakes somehow to leave Ireland, and uh, there's none in Ireland. But uh, Moses didn't get rid of them. He, uh, he, he, went, he listened to what God said, and God said, take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up, and everybody who looks at it will live. 
Now, the people who were studying the snake bites and said, oh, mine's purple today. What color is yours? Oh, I got a, I got a strange green tinge around the outside. Mine's yellow. And they had a whole let's study your snake bite group, you know, where they all would gather together and said, yeah, it's really painful. Yeah, it's really bad. And yeah, mine happened at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. When did yours happen? Oh, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, you were going to the bathroom when yours happened? That's awful. I can't imagine anything worse than that. Yep, I was bending down, and the next moment I knew there was a snake that was attached to my butt. Whatever else happened, those are the kinds of things, and these guys are having this discussion. You know what happened to those people? They died. Were they supposed to die? Well, you know, some, some people, it's just their time. It, yep. Sister so-and-so, she got bit when she was going to the bathroom the other day, and, you know, it was just her time. That's how it goes. But what could have happened was sister so-and-so, instead of being focused on the bite, the pain, the issue, could have looked away to the snake on the pole, right? And remember, that was talking about Jesus. Because he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's kind of weird that Jesus is represented as a snake, right? But he isn't actually. That's a representation of him being made sin for us. Sin was crucified. That's the picture that was being there. Jesus is not a serpent. He's the Son of God, but he was made sin. He was made the thing that inflicted death upon us. Or that everybody's been bitten by the serpent, and we're all going to die if we don't get the antidote into us. And the antidote is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Every one of us has suffered some kind of... If you're already a believer, that, that thank God you, you're not dying from the snake bite. Amen? That's a good tattoo. I ain't dying from the snake bite. You can put that one on next, all right? Then at least you become a walking billboard for Jesus. Hallelujah. So the, 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 next, the next thing is there are six situations that happen in life that want to get you to be preoccupied with them. Have you ever been hurt by something and you just keep rethinking it, rethinking it, going over it, over it, over it in your mind? Is it ever obsessive? I'm not the only one, right? Right, Austin? Not the only one. These things happen again. Somebody did something wrong to you and you just keep going over it. Going, it, it, it builds an, a pathway in your brain. And you never forget about it. You just learn to go a different direction. Sometimes if you have a big, a big bump, your mind can jump back into the old pathways. Hey, where did that come from? Listen, it's not proof of anything. One of the worst things that happens is when people suddenly start getting tempted in an area again, they say, they say oh, see, I'm not changed. I'm just the same failure I've always been. I'm, I haven't been transformed. I'm, I'm, I'm just the same way I've always been. That's absolute nonsense. Don't ever go down that road. The reality is you are changed. The enemy is trying to, listen, guys, just help me out a little bit with just not moving the hands just too much, please. Thank you. You have my, my gratitude. How's that? Thank you. <coughs> so uh, when, when those things begin to happen, what we need to do is we need to look away from those things and you know what there, there's nothing that wants to focus you more on your pain pain uh, guilt condemnation um, regret all of these things focus you on what happened and i'm not talking about jesus death burial and resurrection because that's what we should be focusing on because that's really what happened amen so he obtained the witness before how many know we're supposed to get excited before amen Enoch got excited before, and voila, he's now permanently excited. Verse 6, and without faith it is, this is going to take much longer. How long have I been going for? Forever, huh? Huh? 50 minutes. I haven't even got far enough into the message. Verse 6, without faith, everybody say without faith. It is impossible to please God. Some people think without a perfect life it's impossible to please God, but I've got news for you. The Bible doesn't identify that as the key for pleasing God. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Now every great man of God in the Old Testament has a massive flaw, whether it's uh, getting drunk like, Moses and like, like Noah did, uh, whether it's getting mad like Moses did and slapping the rock twice or committing murder, or, I mean, any list of things that you could come up with. I mean, you've got the whole gamut right there. They, they do and act exactly like the rest of the world does in so many instances, although they're different. Wh what's the difference? 
they, they climb back up out of it and they go after following God. That's the difference. Amen? They don't, they don't stay there. They climb back up out of it and they go after following. All right. So verse 6 is, without faith it is impossible. Not hard, not difficult. Without faith it is impossible. In other words, your life minus faith equals nothing ever going to happen. Impossible. Impossible to please God. What did Enoch have? He had faith and he obtained the testimony that he was pleasing to God before anything happened. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must do two things. Number one, he must believe that God is. How many of you believe that God is what he is? And he is what he is. Remember, faith is and God is. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So first things first, what do we need to believe about God? He's trustworthy. He is. God is love. Amen? God isn't somebody that's making a list of your failures. He's not trying to make a case against you. He's made a case for you. He's not trying to condemn you. He died to remove all guilt and condemnation from you. Uh, those are not the purposes of God for your life. Some people, I'm talking, I'm, I'm living with a lot of Catholics at the moment, and uh, in, in uh, former Catholics, they they were Catholic right up until they met me, <coughs> and then they said you decatholicized us, and they were so Catholic they were going to mass every day for three years nonstop. And you said, did it work? Nah, it didn't work at all. In fact, he said the one day. He'd gone, he'd gone for three years nonstop, every single day, 365 days a year without fail. I don't think any of us here have probably done anything like that. And when he was sitting there in the one mass after three years, he heard God speak to him and said, What are you doing? What are you doing? Usually we want to ask God, What are you doing? But God wants to ask us, What are you doing? And in this case, without faith, it is impossible to please him because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently or those who seek him. The word diligent is implied by that word seek. So he's a rewarder. How many of God is a rewarder? Some, some people say, well, what does God reward? God rewards faith. How does he reward it? You get what you believe for, right? When somebody says to me, I don't think every, anything's ever going to happen in my life. How I many you know they have a reward? It's not a nice one, but they are going to get what they're believing for, right? Or, uh, now if you are faithless as a believer, you've already put your faith in Jesus and you're faithless, he'll be faithful. Uh, you, you, you won't live as much of your salvation on this side of eternity, but at least when you get that side of eternity, um, you'll have what he determined for you to have as eternal life because God is faithful even when we're faithless. Amen? He will. He'll definitely. He will be like that. And so we need to believe that God is. God is a healer. God is our provider. God is my deliverer. Amen? Enemy's always trying to tell you, you're bound. You're stupid. You're broken. You're no good. You never measure up and say, no, he's my healer. He's my, he's my, my, my wholeness. He's my fulfillment. He's my all in all. You're my everything, Lord Jesus. I put my trust on my, I don't need anything else. I don't need anybody else to make me complete. I don't need anybody else to make me happy. I don't need anybody else to do anything. I remember a pastor who had spent his whole life building the church and everything else. And, um, he, he, and he did a lot of it with his own hands. He built the building and all the rest. And uh, when the time came for them to have a pastoral appreciation thing, they the church had already grown considerably. There were a lot of good people in the church and everything else. And uh, he, he, all he got for the pastor's appreciation was a 9 by 11 picture of Jesus. And he got so mad. He went into his office. And he got so mad at God. He said, nobody appreciates me around here. I, I put in all of this time and everything. I've been sweating blood, working my own job and building physically and building spiritually and everything else and all i get is this and it's just there's just no appreciation and you heard a voice speak to him saying who are you doing it for and you suddenly realize that if you're doing it for jesus and you keep your eyes on him 
the fact that nobody else appreciates it is of no consequence whatsoever. And you know what? It's a big deal. It is a big deal. I know because I've been there. I've been there where I felt like nobody appreciates this. And then I have to realize now that, um, and every time in my life, I need to realize I'm not doing it for somebody else's appreciation. I'm doing it out of my appreciation for what he has already done for me. And that's the focus that I have. I'm not doing it in order to obtain. I'm doing it because I've already received. I've already received. I've already received so much from him. I'm doing it out of a heart of love and a heart of response. Amen? All right. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, I know that <coughs> the challenge has always been to trust you, especially when the circumstances are telling us that nothing's working. It isn't happening. It's not just a funny comment of a little lady. It's pretty much what goes on in our head oftentimes when we consider the promise of God, where we're at with it, and why we still haven't seen it after any number of days, months, weeks, years, whatever the time frame may be. But Father, I know that your word says, having done all to stand, we are to keep on standing. And that once we put our trust in you, we're not to turn aside and look to anything else. We're to keep on trusting you. And so this morning, Father, we want to come and say to you that we choose. We choose to make your promise our home and our thought life and our place of rest rather than going to the things that the enemy wants to offer us. Things that tell us we're broken, we're hurt, we are useless, we are foolish, and we deserve everything that we've ever got. Because you never say that. You say that we deserve what you purchased, what you paid for. We don't deserve what we have done wrong. Instead, you took the penalty of that so that we could deserve or receive everything that Jesus did right and everything that he purchased for us. We want to make that our dwelling place, our go-to place when we are disappointed. We don't want to rush to sin when we're disappointed. We want to rush to the Savior who is the Lord of all. And so, Father, we thank you right now. I just want to ask you right now, while, while, while we're in an attitude of prayer, if there's something in your life and you've been saying, when am I ever going to get over this? It may be a habit. Uh, it may be somebody hurt you. It may be some disappointment in your life. And it's something that is intrusive. You keep on repeating it again and again. And you keep wondering, when am I ever going to be free? The reality is the moment you believe, you choose to believe, the very moment you choose to believe, at that moment you're completely free. Will you do that right now? Will you just say to yourself in your mind while you're there, say, I choose to believe that I am over this because Jesus has already given me the answer and I already have it. And I am free. I'm whole. I am complete. I am healed in Jesus' name. And the moment you choose to do that, it's true. It's a reality. You say, well, am I going to be tempted about this again? And that's the reality. Yep, you are going to be tempted, which is why you need to, every time temptation comes, you need to head back to this moment saying, I have already believed and I have already received the answer and I know that it's true. And all of this other stuff, I choose to ignore it and I'm going to walk on and trust what God says. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing in each person's life here. I thank you for uh, the partnership that we have in you and with one another. I thank you that you, Lord God, have chosen to share your life with us and you have called upon us to give up all of our stuff that we couldn't live with, let you take it away so that we may have life and have more, more abundantly. For Jesus, I thank you. You said, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And this day, we choose life. Life more abundantly. We don't want to be preoccupied with what the devil's doing. We want to be focused on what you, Lord Jesus, have already done for us. And we receive the testimony that we are pleasing to you by faith. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.